Welcome to the Self-Belief Podcast, where we talk with people who have great influence in the Metro Detroit business community. We discuss all aspects of their journey, including the moments when they have had to draw deeply on their self-belief to achieve their vision. I will be your host, Keith Baldwin, with my co-host, Jordana Schaefitz, sponsored by Regal Payments and JAC Digital, as well as our studio partner, Office Evolution of Troy. These conversations will potentially make you re-examine your beliefs about business, people, and life in general. Here's a taste of what's coming up today. You just got to go for it. And I think that that is, I would say that not only self-belief, but having people that authentically believe in you with no self-motivating factors. Let's explore and scrutinize together as we unlock the mind of today's guests to provide you with inspiration and tangible takeaways that you can choose to apply in your life. Uh, today's guest is Victoria Eisenminger, who is uh, the owner of From the Heart Dog Service. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, Victoria is a regular listener. So, you know, it's always <laughs> nice to have a regular listener in here. I do. I really enjoy the podcast. I It's very cool to hear from different um, people who have influence in the Metro Detroit area and hearing their stories. It's definitely inspirational. So I, I do really listen to the podcast. Well, we love hearing that. So when we have people on, we uh, try and have guests from different verticals and uh, discuss their business. But more, it's more about their journey of how they got to where they got, not exactly their pure business. But we obviously do discuss that. And I got some uh, uh, things to ask you about your journey. But let's start with a few just things on dog training, just if anyone's listening to get a few dog tips. Uh, a few dog training quotes I, uh, I read yet last night. One is, training often fails because people expect too much of the dog and not enough of themselves. Is that true? Do you have to train the owners just as much as the dog? Yes, that's 100% accurate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you agree with that one. That's good. Yes. All right, what, what are some of the mistakes the owners make? I think the biggest one is people aren't consistent or they don't follow through with what they're asking the dog to do. It seems that there's a lot of um, dog culture around in this just this understanding that you're going to get a dog and they're going to know how to maneuver in our human world and what behavior is acceptable and what behavior isn't acceptable and I think that that's like the mi biggest misconception is that just like if you were learning a new skill whether it's a sport or you have a child you have to go through starting at the beginning you have to learn how to dribble a soccer ball and you have to learn how to walk and help your baby learn to walk. And the same thing is applied to your dog. You have to take that time and show your dog what are the expectations, what is the behavior that you want out of them, and in every situation, how should your dog behave? And people a lot of times miss that and have this misconception that their dog should just know. They don't know. And when you're not consistent with what your expectations are, it brings a lot of confusion for the dog, and that's where you're going to have a lot of behavioral problems. Okay. Yeah, I may have been guilty of that myself. You know, you have the dog after <laughs> after a couple of months, and he's like, oh, get the flow. You know, he's in the house. He, he should mind read me. He should know what's I was definitely guilty until Victoria helped me with my Ziggy. My next dog question, somebody said, if you want, to stop, if you want the dog to stop fighting the leash... Stop using the leash to fight the dog. Is that correct or that's just nonsense? Yes. I mean, I think that it's important that you look. It kind of goes back to my answer that I gave before is that we have this um, preconceived notion that all of a sudden you're going to pull this leash or for to really bare bones it, this rope out, and you're going to tie it around your dog's neck or collar and attach it to your dog, and they're just going to magically walk nicely next to you and never try to speed ahead of you and never be interested in anything that's going on around you. And the leash is how you is what truly connects you to your dog, and it's a tool to be able to guide them. But if you're always fighting them on the leash and, again, not taking that extra time to teach them what that leash means and how it connects them to you and it's their protection and it's their safety and that's how you guys are going to communicate 
yeah, I mean, you can use the leash poorly and fight with them the whole time. Now, your, your personal story, you're, you're one of the people that we've had on who's turned their kind of passion, their hobby into a business. Mm-hmm. When did, um, I know you worked in the auto industry before. Is that when your dog training passion started or before then? Um, so I've always loved animals my whole life. Um, my mom even, but the, there's a lot of jokes between my grandma and my grandpa about how many dogs a sane person has in their house. And that dog, that number grew every time my dog, my grandma, my mom, or myself brought a new dog home that needed help. And so my whole life I've been very committed, always owned a dog, always trying to help dogs. Um, but a few years ago, I was at a point in my career where I really wanted to be able to give back. I owned a boxer. Her name was Maggie. And I really love that breed. And my best friend, um, Corinne, is, was really heavily involved in Boxer Haven Rescue. And she was like, you know, they're always looking for volunteers. Why don't you get involved in this organization? And so um, my now husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time, we decided to volunteer. We got approved to foster. And um, so we welcomed our first foster dog into the home. His name was Rufio. And we had him for 10 days before we lost Maggie. Mm. And so um, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, this dog's not going anywhere. And so in the rescue world, it's known as foster failing um, when you keep the dog that you're fostering instead of adopt them out. So he's our favorite failure. Um, But what we didn't know is that, and I think that this, a lot of people can relate to the story when getting dogs is that. Maggie was a very perfect first dog. She didn't really have behavioral issues. She loved everybody. You know, she it didn't take a lot to get her to be able to walk on a leash, welcome guests into the home. She was very calm. You know, she was just a great all-around dog. Um, however, you learn <laughs> the more dogs that you have, the lower on the streak of luck that you get when you have a perfect dog. Um, or what you think is a perfect dog. And we got Rufio, and he was amazing in the house. We got him in March, so we didn't really walk him that much. We didn't. There wasn't a lot of people out as the weather started to turn. Um, we had a very severely leash-reactive dog on our hands, um, something that my husband and I both were never really equipped to deal with. And so that's when we really started looking into training. We were like, we want to help him. How do we help make him feel more comfortable? What, what do you mean by leash reactive? Just when you put the leash on, he would pull? No, I mean like <laughs> when I talk about severely leash reactive, I mean if we saw at first it was so bad. If he saw a leaf, he would be barking and trying to get up on his hind legs oh, and lunging. And he was very scary. Um, He would be going nuts in our backyard, but he was amazing in the house. Like, we would have to tell people, you cannot enter into our gate um, because Rufio would not take well to that. But if you walked through our front door, he would walk right up to you and wiggle and greet you. Um, So it was dogs, people, leafs, literally cars, anything that would walk by. He would be trying to get up on his back legs and yanking and barking. And, I mean, he was dangerous um, for all intents and purposes, like— if one of us would have let go of the leash, I don't really want to know what would have happened. Um, so we knew we needed help, and that's kind of where my journey started is just <coughs> wanting to help him. Um, and also during that time, we had gotten a puppy um, because I really missed my my girl, and so I really wanted a girl uh, boxer. And we got Kaya, who I still have today. And I wanted to just be able to avoid these problems that I was having with Rufio and just give her a really good life. And so I just, that's how I kind of got started is I um, looked into different trainers and tried to work with different trainers to help Rufio. And that's where my like passion came from. It, I ended up being like pretty good at it. And I also loved doing it. I fell in love with the process of training and it just, that's where I got started. Right. Now, we've, we've talked with guests about the um, inflection points when you decide to, to jump. And I know speaking to you before, you said you, you've, you've recently, about a year and a half ago, got married and you're remodeling your house. So a lot <laughs> of the time you're living in your parents' house while your house is being remodeled. She's got and a lot you, going on. Yeah, and you left your corporate job to start this business. 
why was that the perfect time? Oh, well, <laughs> I think that my husband might tell you that was not the perfect time. Okay. However, um, I guess if you know me, you know that I don't do anything small and I don't do anything half-assed. <laughs> I, right. I'm going to go for it. So, um, was it, Also, I understand that the dog training became a passion. Was the auto job, did it feel more like a job? Did you never develop a passion for that? Yeah, so I mean, I was in automotive for 10 years and I was in sales account manager, um, running a team. I mean, you name it, I pretty much did it in the auto industry from a sales perspective. And I just, it, a lot of things changed for me in COVID. So I, my during my entire 20s, I was in the grind. I was all about my career. I was traveling I actually took a role for three years straight where I slept more in a Marriott than I actually slept in my own bed. Wow. I traveled to Mexico. I traveled around the U.S. I was basically the liaison between the production facilities for our company and the customer. And I was managing all of our current business, which was about $2 billion worth of business. I that I love dogs, I love passion. I would rather be putting my heart and soul into something that I know is gonna grow and going to give me give back to me and my family as well. I think also work-life balance and thinking of the future, automotive didn't really offer that to me. I was never, I was definitely going to have to choose, do I want to start a family and be able to actually spend time with my kids or do I want to keep climbing the corporate ladder and meeting all of the demands? What kind of made me start to say, I need to figure out something. Um, and the dogs just kind of entered into my life and um, it just, at first it didn't seem like a real career or something. I was like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I'm making money, but I don't know how I can do this. And there was a lot of brainstorming and, um, you know, I guess like fast forward a little bit from 2020 when this, we got Rufio, we started seeing trainers. I started to really rethink my commitments and where I was dedicating my time to, um, like 2021, we got engaged 2022, we got married. Um, and it was on our honeymoon when I was just like, so, um, I think I want to quit my job. <laughs> and I had been laying the groundwork because in 2021, a friend of mine had contacted me and was like, hey, I saw that you train dogs. And I was like, I don't really do that. Um, I train my own dogs and, you know, I've shadowed and done some things with some other companies and things like that. But I don't really. And she was like, no, you train dogs. You're going to come over. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I'm going to come over. And then. Um, next thing I knew, she had sent my name to like five different people and I was booked the entire summer of 2021 with amazing. just with helping her with her dog and the success that she got from that. And that's when it kind of clicked to me that like I have a talent and a passion for this and this can be something that I grow. Um, and then from there, we started fostering a lot and we decided not to keep all the rest of the fosters. We only failed once. <laughs> and um, we just, it just seemed like every weekend we had somebody else's dog where I was just watching them or taking care of them. Um, and so I had basically proven to Sean that like this really was potentially a feasible business. And I, we came home and we invested in redoing um some things at our house to be able to support the business um, and being able to have a place where I could run the business out of the house and see how long I could basically do both for while I grew the business. I was still working in my other job um, and running the business on the side. And then in January, um, that's really when I said, okay, I really want to go for this. Um, I knew that I quit on March 31st of 2023, and here we are. So it hasn't even been a year that I left my corporate job, and it's just kind of been a whirlwind of... Do you agree with this? So my husband says that, um, you know, my dog Ziggy is me in um, a dog form. Would you think that's true about, like, your dogs? Do you think that your Kaya is you, or do you think that... Is that work? Does that work in owners? Uh, yes, 100%. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, Ziggy and you are definitely very similar, and I love that. 
Um, but Kaya is also very much my dog. Yes. Um, she is definitely my mirror image. <laughs> She's grown with me all, the whole, every step of the way I've had her since I started everything. And, um, She's definitely my dog. I mean, just from her, <laughs> we'll talk about the bad qualities first, her sassiness and her just. <laughs> Give me, you know, we can joke what a sassy quality in a human is, but how does a dog become sassy? I will say that Kaya is the queen of the side eye. So when you're doing something, she'll just kind of look at you like, what are you doing? And she's just, she has this whole aura of like when she's walking, she prances and she has a swagger to her walk and like. I'm not saying that I have all these things, but this is how you <laughs> this, this is how you would um, say that the dog is just sassy. Like she just, you know, demands respect when she walks into the room from the other dogs, and she she holds herself, you know, very confidently when she's with me. She knows that we're working. She comes into all of my lessons. And Keith, we've never met your dogs, but do you think that either of your dogs are like you? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, one, I got, I got two dogs. One's Chief, he's like 14, and we have Willow, she's almost three. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Chief we rescued when he was two. Um, with the principle of, um, we, our dog needed a dog. It's so funny to hear that about so many different dogs. All dogs are so different. Yeah. They're just like people. I mean, true. they don't necessarily get along with everybody. You know, I'm like, you're not going to like every person that you meet and every dog's not going to like every person or every dog that they meet. And they all have individual needs and individual, they're individuals. And I think that that's really important. Um, you know, a lot of times people will come to me and be like telling me all about their previous dog. And I'm like, I love that you love your previous dog. And I think that it's great that you had such a great relationship with them. But this dog is this dog. And we have to take and accept the dog in front of us for who they are. And we're going to help them be the best that they can be. Like, and, what yeah. do they, what is their love language? Yep. And that's why people come to you. Because, like, they, as Victoria, you can tell more. But, like, you do more lifestyle training. So, as Keith talked about before, it really is about the owner. Like, I love Ziggy. And he's my best friend. He's my best dog. But, like, really... Training him was more about me than actually him. So, Victoria, can you tell us more about that? <laughs> sure. I think that my style is very, very different. Um, I guess to, like, use dog lingo, I would say that I'm more dog psychology-based, um, more lifestyle training. So I'm really more interested in helping you have the best relationship with your dog versus having, like, a militantly obedient mm -hmm. dog. Um, I do think that there's a huge difference between having this obedient dog and having a dog that is able to be calm in all situations and just feel safe in your presence. And that is one of the biggest things that I strive for is to help your dog, help you help your dog feel safe and calm and relaxed no matter where they go because they're with you. Um, and that is one of the things I think that makes me a lot different from a lot of trainers obviously there's lots of trainers out there that have my same style and I learn from them and I've I love watching them and I think that it's amazing that they do that as well and I pick up tips and things like that but um I think that's what sets me apart from a lot of trainers um common mistakes and I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have is just giving your dog boundaries really helps them to feel safe so a lot of times I get clients that are like really feel bad about using a crate or really feel bad about telling ask like giving their dog specific parameters on where should they sleep or where should they relax and where should they lay down. But in reality, dogs thrive in a pack environment and they thrive when they understand the expectations and they know what the boundaries are. So when you have a a dog they're always looking for that the balance of the pack they're always trying to understand like once they know their place they feel comfortable so we can help create that by giving them boundaries and a lot of times we're unfortunately in the rescue world and also in my training world I think a lot of behavior problems could be avoided if dogs were properly exercised and given boundaries in the home 
So I see a lot of dogs getting returned to Boxer Haven because Mm -hmm. someone welcomes them into their home. They give them free reign of their home, their yard, right off the bat. And the dog doesn't know. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of people having this expectation of, oh, maybe I'm adopting an older dog, so they should know how to behave. They don't. I don't really care how old the dog is. When you're bringing them into your world, in your house, it's your responsibility to teach them what is the expected behavior and help them get there. So um, I think that that would really help a lot of people is just really understanding that the crate is there to help create structure. It creates a safe place for your dog. Boundaries are what makes your dog feel safe and also help them to look to you for guidance and trust mm. your guidance. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We have um, a second dog. She, we use the crate, not as effectively as we should have, but we still have it there, and she'll go in it from time to time. And I look, she's kind of cramped in there now. I'm like, that can't be comfortable. But she goes in there, and uh, but she has, she has free reign of different things. You mentioned about proper exercise. What, what is your definition of what is proper If you're going to get a dog... Is it enough just to let them in the yard a few times a day? Or what's, what is proper exercise you should do for a dog? Um, so proper exercise, I would define this as mental and physical. So we always want to be challenging our dog from a mental perspective, and it really depends on the breed and the age of the dog. But I think our good rule of thumb is an hour of a structured walk with you every day. Um, and and what, what does a structured walk mean for our listeners? Um, A structured walk means that the dog is engaged with you. They're not sniffing. They're not pulling you. They're walking either behind you or next to you. But isn't the sniffing mental stimulation for them? You know, don't they want to see who's peed on this tree before? (laughs) I mean, we're Sally. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sure that they do. And I'm not discrediting the fact that there's these there's things called sniffaries that are really good for your dog. But it's time and place. Hold on. I can't let sniffari go (laughs) and just not not bring that up. So letting a dog sniff on a walk, someone's labeled that a sniffari, have they? Yes. I I don't like that person. I do. That's (laughs) so cool. (laughs) It's ridiculous. ridiculous. I like it. So, um, I mean, it's time and place. So, again, going back to boundaries and structure, if you're taking your dog for a walk and you're letting and the dog is sniffing and smelling every single thing that's going on by you, that's very similar to you walking with like Keith. If we're sitting here and you were on your phone the whole time, you're not actually engaging with me. So your dog sniffing is actually the equivalent of them blowing you off and huh. not engaging with you on the walk. Now, again, it's not that they can never sniff, but it needs to be on your terms. So if you walk for 10 minutes, and your dog is doing really well, they're really engaged with you, you can tell that you're connected and you're having a great walk, for sure, give them freedom. Say, hey, you can sniff for five minutes. But then if your dog can come back to you and get right back to that structured walk, awesome. If you have that level of a great relationship with your dog where you they understand that boundary, let them sniff. But it has to be on your terms. As a business owner, if the answer to the question who does your credit card processing is just, I'm not sure, or my bank, I think, and you're obviously not receiving the royal treatment you deserve. Regal Payments helps businesses accept payments in the most efficient and cost-effective ways possible. And at Regal, we treat you like royalty. And in a good way, we're not going to chop off your head or write crazy stories about you in the tabloids. Think of Regal Payments like the King's Butler. We'll be catering to all you and your royal subjects' needs to get the best payment experience possible. Contact Regal today to see how we may help you and serve you. Regalpayments.com or Keith at Regalpayments.com. So you mentioned um, you you have two dogs. and I have two dogs, and uh, at the time I decided my dog needed another dog. Would you uh, agree with that? Is it better to have what be a one-dog family or a two-dog family, or it doesn't matter, they're both as good? Um... I think that it really depends on you as a person and how active your family is and how well you're able to provide good direction for your dogs. So if you are a family that has multiple children, you're traveling a lot, you have a very busy life, I would recommend that one dog is probably good because remember we talked about a commitment is an hour walk a day. 
Um, two dogs means two of everything. It means two vet bills. It means two feeding two mouths. It does. Yes. <laughs> it means um, two exercise requirements, maybe in the beginning, two separate training times. So not only are you having, because it's very difficult to train two dogs at a time, like even me as a professional, when I have clients, I train, even if I have multiple training dogs coming to me at, at the same time, they each get their dedicated time with me. I'm not trying to train multiple dogs at the same time. Um, and so it is a lot of work. I mean, coming from a two dog, a two young dog household for me and boxers are very high energy dogs. Um, they require a lot of time. Yeah. So I really don't like the, <laughs> the saying of, um, my dog needs a dog because, um, that's just not true. And a lot of times what happens is you have a, a potentially a dog that maybe is dealing with some behavioral issues like separation anxiety or not getting the right amount of stimuli, like stimuli, stimulization from their human. And now we're trying to replace that by getting them a dog or a playmate where I would rather see that family work through those issues with the dog and get the dog to a point where it's confident on their own. And then getting another dog is something that is you want to have another dog because you enjoy the process. You're an active family. You you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's hard enough on his own. Like, I can't imagine having two. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's fun. I mean, but the vet bills are a thing. When my older dog, he had cancer last year. And Aww. he um, yeah, he's doing really well now. You know, the, the what we chose to do with the vet was uh, expensive, but it worked. But it's uh, Speaking of that, know. Victoria, can you kind of tell us about your nutrition planning and how that works with your dog, Rufio, and how, like, you did... He, obviously, he did have cancer, but, like, you did help him a lot. Yeah, so... Um, not only did Rufio <laughs> bring me to dog training, he also got me very interested in dog nutrition. This Rufio guy, I mean, he was a good guy. Um, so unfortunately, right before our wedding last year in March, or not last year, in 2022, um, in March, Rufio um, had to have an emergency splenectomy because he had um, what's called hermangiosarcoma, which is a very, very aggressive form of cancer of the blood cell um it usually starts in the spleen it can start in the heart um but typically once the tumor bursts which is what happened and why his um why he had to have his emergency surgery to have his spleen removed it, it kind of like starts to spread the cancer mm. all over the dog's body because it's in the blood vessel so usually if you can catch hermangiosarcoma before it bursts you have a better life expectancy but after it bursts, it's really grim, and a lot of dog owners, I'm sure, can relate, especially if you own boxers. They're unfortunately really prone to this type of cancer. Um, so one of the things is that when he got diagnosed with this, um, we had his spleen removed, and we went to see a dog oncologist, and we chose to do go to one um, that is at Oakland Veterinary Referral Services, which is an amazing animal hospital there in Bloomfield Hills, um, and we saw Dr. Bannock, and she is a holistic veterinarian um, that specializes in cancer. And so she does traditional medicine, like your chemo, radiation, all of that kind of stuff for dogs. And then also she has a holistic approach. We chose to do the holistic route because when we looked at the statistics for hermangiosarcoma is something that the dogs can, with no treatment, maybe they can live a week or two. Um, we were able to keep Rufio for an extra four months. Um, and during this whole time, we learned a lot about um, basically dog kibble and nutrition and how it is important, just as important for our dogs to have a really diverse diet and eat fresh food um, as it is for us. And me being, I really love living like a healthy lifestyle, eating healthy and working out. And um, those are all things that are really important to me. It's a part of my life. And um, it just kind of fit with my life. And my husband is the same as well. Um, and we that's the reason why we went that route. And the more research that I did, ultimately, we ended up losing Rufio, which we knew we were going to. But we were able to give him the best four months of his life. 
he was healthy, he was pain-free, he had no inflammation, his arthritis was completely managed and under control without medication, and all we did was switch the food. Um, and it was just a miracle to kind of see his fur get better, his gray, his energy. I mean, he was a nine-year-old boxer with hermangiosarcoma, and he lived, he lived the most amazing life literally until the second he was not okay. And, um, I mean, when we got to the oncologist's office, he jumped out of the car, was wiggling. He walked in and passed out, and that's when we lost him because his tumor burst at our appointment. Um, oh my. And it was very traumatic. Yeah. However, my the reason for sharing that is because he literally lived his best life until the day he died. Um, and so when Sean and I, my husband, and I went after that, we said— we saw the benefits of just seeing this for Rufio, and we only did it for four months. So we went back and we changed all of Kaya's food, and Kaya struggles with allergies. And um, what food do you buy now? So I feed my dogs raw food. Um, it's been an evolution of getting there. Is that raw that you make, or like you know, there's a lot of ads for like the farmer's dog right now and those sort of things. So yeah, so um, you can make a raw diet yourself. Um, I actually getting to Jordana's question is that I did take a dog, I am in the process of getting my certification in dog nutrition to be able to help put together meal plans and something that somebody could make themselves for raw food. There's lots of um, amazing companies out there that do gently cooked or raw food. Um, the biggest thing that you want to be careful of when you're looking for dog food selection is you want a low carbohydrate content. So um, dogs we get our energy from carbs, but dogs get their energy from proteins and fats. So if you have a, and technically they are not able to actually digest carbs and the enzyme typically, like for us, we have an enzyme in our mouth that's in our saliva that immediately starts the breakdown of carbohydrates when we eat. Dogs don't even have that until their stomach. Oh. So, um, and some dogs have more enzymes than others um, but really historically and if you look back from an ancestral perspective that just started as they started you know living with humans they just started developing this enzyme and being able to have it um, in their stomach so they're not really meant to digest a lot of carbohydrates they can have like veggies and things like that but lentils corn potatoes rice all beans all of those types of things they're not really meant to digest and it really doesn't it's not superior nutrition. And the problem with most traditional dog kibble is it has a huge high, a very high carbohydrate content. Raw, raw meat, like raw so food. It's not, it's not good to cook the food. I mean, like yesterday, I mean, I, I'm trying to eat liver once a week because it's good for you. And I gave some to the dog. I cooked it, but, you know, he liked it. Yeah. But it should, I should have given it to him raw. Anything is better than processed. Okay. Um, but from like a breakdown perspective and nutrient perspective, they're going to get the most nutrients out of raw food because that's, if you think about the history of dogs and wolves, they're eating out in the wild. They're not eating cooked food. So they can get, they have some access to like berries and grass and things like that, but they would never have access to like a potato. So do you see like, I know you said this before, but I'm going to bring this up. So like you see the kind of, you and Sean see this as kind of an insurance policy basically. So it's like if you pay more for your food, then your dog's going to be healthier and it's going to cost you less at the vet, et cetera. Yeah, so the things that we've seen from feeding our dogs a fresh food diet, whether it's gently cooked or raw, I mean, we, you know, you go back and forth, and variety is very important. So switching out the proteins and, you know, I mean, you don't want to eat the same thing every day. Sicky like he hates turkey now. He's had too much. <laughs> yeah, so, and dogs can actually develop allergies to it. Um, but anyway, the the thing is, is that it also helps with their teeth. They don't have as much tartar buildup. Um and it just so also I'm sure some of you may be familiar with glyophosphate, which is a huge um, pesticide that's used on a lot of um, our crops now. And that's why we buy like organic or non-GMO. Well, there's no regulation in dog food. So when you mm -hmm. have kibble, it's full of glyophosphate, which is a carcinogen and it's cancer causing. So the heat where that the kibble goes under um, for processing it just it basically drains all the nutrients out of it and it can and it's filled with carcinogens so um 
when they're eating that every day, basically they're, it's getting on their teeth. It's going into their bloodstream. Also, dogs are lower to the ground. They're way more susceptible to like oh. just your common pesticides, right? When they're walking in other people's grass and you don't know whose lawns are treated, they lick their paws. Like they just have a higher level of it because they're lower to the ground. So anything that you can do to like prevent that is going to help them live a longer life, which to me, Sean and I, when we look at it, I mean, your average dental procedure can be anywhere from $300 to $800 if you need extractions and it can go up from there. So, I mean, that's something that you would have to do annually when you mm-hmm. have to put your dog under yeah, so anesthesia. What, what is the price difference for the diet you're talking about and a medium good kibble that people are buying? Um, I would say that like, it really depends. Like three times as expensive, twice as expensive? Well, it depends on if you do it yourself yeah. or if you buy prepackaged. If you buy prepackaged, you're going to be paying, like, the top of the line, like, raw food, I would say you're probably paying, like, $11, $12 per pound of food, which is really expensive. Um, but, like, you can buy, you can go to the store or you can buy in bulk and contact different companies. Um I buy fresh food and it's like $65 a bag, but I do mix that with like a one, a half a kibble, but I'm trying to get away from kibble. So yeah, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So there's a really good brand um, that's called open farm. Their bags are like for their traditional kibble, which is a little bit less heat processed. It's like 70 bucks. Yeah, I just looked at it today because that's what I'm going to buy, Ziggy, now. And they have, like, a raw mix. They have some fresh food options. But the biggest thing is that you want to try to mix in. If you're going to feed your dog kibble, always make sure you put water on it. Always make sure that there's lots of moisture because it's very dry so it can dehydrate your dog. And then also you want to make sure that you're trying to put on fresh food toppers. So it's really important. Dogs can pretty much eat everything that we can eat with the exception of anything in the onion family. They can't have grapes or raisins and they can't have chocolate. So I mean like Brussels sprouts, even like some of the ideas that I have is like when I meal prep for myself or if I'm making something, you're going to cut like the bottom part off of the Brussels sprouts or you're going to cut off a little top of the tomato or the carrot or whatever. You can put that in your, you can lightly saute it and put it in your dog's bowl Um, just as a topper to kibble, and that's still getting them fresh nutrients where you're not actually even spending any more money. Also, think about this. The one thing good about Victoria is that she's not all or nothing. Some people are like, just feed raw. But she's like, you know what? You can do both. It's really, it it also can be really expensive. And like right now, I'm not really wanting to afford that for my dog, but I do certain things that I know is good for him. So it's like kind of a slow process. Now, um, you're looking to grow your business now. I know you just hired someone. Is it? Do you have a plan for growth, or you're just kind of growing, and you're like, okay, I need someone else now? Is there, or is it more structured? Um, there's a little bit of more structure. I don't. I do have some structure to my life, <laughs> um, but I. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm working on growing actually the more digital side of my business. So I am in the process of writing some ebooks um, and putting a little bit more content online to be able to access more people um, where it's not necessarily always me 100% hands on um, with the dogs, but still being able to access my me and my information. Um, so kind of like how, you know, how some fitness trainers give you an app that you can use when you go to your own gym. Are you going to have a similar thing of an app people can use when they're training their dog? Hopefully. I don't know if it'll necessarily be an app, but something along the lines of that. So I'm hoping that... Just um, ebooks to start. Yeah, ebooks to start, and we'll see where it kind of goes from there. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think this summer I'll be looking to have add to my staff a little bit. Um, I do have an assistant trainer that um, hopefully in the next couple of months she'll be ready to stop assisting me and really take on full clients um, by herself. So I'll need to have somebody that can help me with the dogs that are at the facility. So if Mel and I are both gone, having somebody there walking, pottying, feeding, you know, doing things that Mel and I may not be able to get to. Sure. And then what about your group classes? 
So I am, um, I'm really excited about this. I'm actually partnering uh, with Mike at Premier Pet, and we are going to be offering group classes um, at his Beverly Hills location and his Livonia location. Um, and they are going to be starting on March 9th and March 11th. So March 9th in Beverly Hills, March 11th in Livonia. And um, I'm actually really excited about this because this is a passion of mine. So I, we didn't really talk about this a lot, but I am the co-director of Boxer Haven Rescue. Um, and so rescue is a huge part of my life. And I dedicate and donate a lot of time to fostering and also helping people that want to foster and helping them acclimate and bring new dogs into their home and helping them to save them. And so um, touched on this a little bit, we get a lot of people that are returning dogs for just not really knowing what to do. Maybe they're hesitant to foster because they don't know how to welcome a new dog. So I, one of the classes that I'm going to be teaching is specifically on owner education. Um, so this is for somebody that maybe is thinking about getting a dog. Maybe they just got a new dog. They got a new puppy. They're thinking about getting a new puppy. Maybe they want to give back more. Maybe they want to foster maybe they've had a dog for a year or six months or two years and all of a sudden now they're starting to see behavioral things that they don't like they can also join this class but it's just for owners so in the part of it that makes it cool is that there's no dogs in this class you can you get to come you get to meet me you get to hear my style you get to get a lot of great information on things that we talked about in the beginning like boundaries and structure and how to welcome a new dog properly um, and set yourself up for success or hit the reset button with your current dog. Um, and then following that, I will be doing hands-on group classes where the dogs will come and I'll teach skills like loose leash walking, the place command, how to greet other dogs, how to greet people, how to come into your home, different things like that. So there'll be a series of group classes that will go on that'll be hands-on. Um, that's something that I'm, I'm really excited about and I think that there's definitely a need, especially in the rescue world, for this information. And so the what one of the things that I really like about this group class is that it's affordable dog training. So this is for everybody that gets a dog, whether you rescued it from the Humane Society or you got a new puppy. Um, it makes good dog training and good information accessible to everybody, no matter yeah. what, what stage of life that you're in um, or what demographic you're able to come and get great information and learn how to have the best relationship with your dog and what's uh, what's been the most challenging thing you've had to face since you started the business that maybe you didn't expect um so i think that in theory when you are going in and you're like oh i get to work with dogs all day and i get to hang out and it's going to be fun um, it's not a Disney movie, though. No. <laughs> and 101 dogs is a lot of dogs. Right. Um, a little bit much. <laughs> and so I think it was a big learning curve of truly understanding the the amount of dogs I can have to have one-on-one -on -one and stay with, stay true to what why I started the business and where I really wanted the business to go. But then also being able to set strong boundaries for myself and with clients so that I'm able to actually do the business side of things too. So there is obviously an element of working hard physically of walking the dogs and training the dogs and cleaning up after the dog and caring for the dog in the middle of the night and all of that. But then also it's doing things like this <laughs> and right. promoting and networking and meeting people and answering calls that are coming in and, hey, I am interested in your dog training services and really trying to get a schedule together that in some ways has to still be flexible because dogs also don't go on a schedule. I don't know if you know that, but, you know, they just right. don't always follow that schedule. Or they throw up in the middle of the night on Christmas and they have to have a bath. Mm, <laughs> yeah, that maybe that, that happens a lot. So yeah, I know you mentioned um, in the in the auto industry at times you felt a little burnt out. So mm -hmm. whether in that role or anything else, what what has been a challenging time where you've had to draw on your reserves of self belief to to get through? Um, I think that just like with any business owner, I think you kind of go through this imposter syndrome where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Like, what's next? And that's when I think you have to dig deep. And this is what. 
I think I've been thinking about this a lot because I knew you were going to ask me this question. Um, <laughs> that, See, this is why I guess you to listen to the podcast before. Right. Yes. I'm like, I really got to study these questions. Um, no, I think that one of the things that has made a huge impact for me is not only digging deep in myself, but also the network that you have around you has to really believe in you because coming from an automotive world, a lot of the executives and a lot of the people that are reaching out to quote unquote help you are all self-motivated. They will tell you things. They will do things to manipulate you to try to make sure that they're getting their own personal gain, their own political status, all of these things. And it could be to your detriment and they don't care. But when you are on your own and you're able to create this network, you have to have people that are truly in your corner that truly want you to succeed. Um, and so I would say that that is probably one of the times where, yes, I have to dig deep and have self-belief in myself that I'm going to be able to do this and talk myself off a ledge when I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or this person does training way better than me. Um, but you have to have those people in your corner that really believe in you because you have to be able to call them and say, I'm feeling really burnt out. I don't know what I'm doing. And they are yeah, going what to... was something that happened to, to really enhance that imposter syndrome <laughs> at that time and you had to work through? I just think that sometimes I forget that I'm still not even a full year out of my corporate job. I'm still growing my business and sometimes I'm watching trainers that are on Instagram or I'm watching these trainers that maybe have been doing this for 10, 20 30 years and I get caught up in comparing myself to them right and I need someone that's a very good friend of mine her name may be Jordana that says listen you're amazing you're starting out you're comparing first of all you can use these people as inspiration but don't compare yourself to them they're not you and they have ex more experience, they're more polished, they've had more just experience in general, and you can learn from them, but don't compare yourself to them. And I will say that she's been definitely one of my biggest cheerleaders in helping me, you know, jump off or pull me back from the ledge of, oh, maybe I should just go back and get a job. <laughs> um, and even just other friends that have you know, started other businesses. My parents are also um, entrepreneurs, so they all have, my dad is a CPA and my, my mom owns a marketing company. And they've all had to kind of say, you just got to go for it. And I think that that is, I would say that not only self-belief, but having people that authentically believe in you with no self-motivating factors or trying to get something out of it by believing in you. It's all very true. I mean, I do give good advice, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should do an episode of that be giving no, advice. I, I think it's, it's great that you've been there to support Victoria and uh, give her the advice. I mean, and one of the things we, we look for is we, with this podcast, want to interview people who've had influence in Metro Detroit. And that, that doesn't mean interviewing the most long-standing dog trainer. I think your story is great because you've made that decision to go into a business, leave a comfortable job, and you know, follow your passion. And you, yes, it's been less than a year. I don't know all your clients, but I know you're ramped up quick. You do a lot of people. You're already adding staff. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's a great influence and a great story for people. And uh, you know this last question's coming. Uh, what are three compliments you would give yourself? when you're not having the imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I do feel that I have a really good uh, emotional intelligence. I think that my what makes me different from a lot of dog trainers in general is my corporate experience. I'm able to read a room very well. Um, I got very good at that being with working with corporate executives all the time. A lot of those are my clients now. Um, and just being able to connect with them and understand that, it also makes me very good with the dogs because I'm able to read the energy of the dog and bring a calming sense to them and also be able to kind of anticipate things before they happen. I'm not afraid to make decisions. I don't like to him and haw on things for a really long time. I'll have an idea 
And yes, I think about it very thoroughly, but I always go for it. Well, I appreciate you being here. I, my dogs will be getting sardines on top of their kibble tonight. Good. I'd be so happy. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot. Appreciate you coming in. Thank you for joining us. Keith. Jordana, let's get to the heart of the matter with the heart of the dog service, Lady uh, Miss Victoria. Let's do it. So, funny enough, so I met Victoria and I first joined BNI. I think she, I had been like there three times. And she's like, I'm a dog trainer. And I was like, oh, I just got a puppy. His name is Ziggy. I need your help. And that's how we became friends. And that's how I've been working with her, helping with social media. And everything she says, I think that is so interesting. And I think it's very valuable. And also, one of my biggest things I always hear from her, and the listeners really should know, is that it's really all about your relationship with your dog like she doesn't focus on obedience training she focuses on your relationship with your dog how are you going to get through the hard stuff if if your dog is able to calm down instead of be able to lie down or sit up that's more beneficial so i'm smiling because everything you said there was correct but you threw in a very canadian a boot this was excellent. Oh, wow, I'm Canadian. Canadian. That's right. It comes out every now and then. That was, uh, you don't get those too often. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Victoria's great, and uh, I think um, it was funny in the way that she said, obviously, stated the obvious, that the dogs in the wild don't cook the food. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you've ever seen any of those uh, far-side uh, cartoons where Gary Larson, he did these kind of comedic cartoons, but it would be stuff like that. Yeah, no dog is sitting around a campfire cooking <laughs> the chicken breast, but in, that's maybe naturally we feel bad giving raw meat to a dog. It's like, oh, well, we should c- cook it a bit. But It's almost like you know. Victoria says it and it's true. Like It's almost like you, we're humanizing my dog. So yeah. it's like, I'm obsessed well, we with do. my dog. We dress them and everything. Right? I'm yeah. so obsessed with Ziggy, but sometimes we humanize him. I, well, as I say, I don't dress my dogs. I don't dress him either. Yeah. But it's like I look at him and I'm like, my husband always says, why do you always have to ask what's wrong with him? He's a dog. And I'm like, I know, but he's my baby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, to, to wrap the episode up, I think Victoria has very good points about, um, yeah, leaving a corporate industry. Um, the points you made about in the auto industry, sometimes you're now working 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. I know people like this. They have great position. I'm sure their pay and benefits are excellent, but that's a lot of time. You you know, that's a lot of time away from the family, a lot of time not picking up the kids, and I'm sure it can lead to burnout with some people. And A hundred percent. And you know what? Also, it's like, yeah, you can make, do that in your own business, but you're working on your own time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Victoria's great. And if you have an animal, specifically a dog, that needs to be trained, uh, contact Victoria. And check out her group classes starting Premier Pet in March. And what's her Instagram handle? Victoria's Life with Dogs. Follow her. I do help her with all her Instagram content. All right. Thanks, everyone. Does the idea of managing your social media intimidate you? Are you not seeing the results you'd like? Do you struggle to find the time that social media requires? At Jack Digital, we're happy to be the solution to all your social media needs. We work collaboratively with you and listen to your goals. We focus on building your brand and helping you create a personal connection with your audience. From social media consulting to customized social media strategies, we are here to help you have less stress and more results. And at the end of the day, enjoy your social media.